If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Romans chapter 15 today as we keep going through the book of Romans. We've come to Romans 15, verses 8 through 12. If you don't have a Bible, please get one of the black Bibles on the end of the pew. And if you don't have a Bible at all, then please just keep that one. It's our gift to you. We want you to have a copy of God's Word for yourself. Let's read together Romans chapter 15. Uh, We're going to be in 8 through 12, but I want to start reading in verse 7. It says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. That's where we'll end today, but I'm going to read you also verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Now, when you're not in church, I wonder what it is that you bond with people over. When you meet somebody and you want to see, is this person going to be my friend? Is this somebody that we can, we can find something in common, that we can... Uh, we can bond over, is it going to be something like maybe sports teams that you both like? Or maybe you would figure out musicians or kinds of music that you you both have in common and you like. Is it going to be TV shows or political pundits or something like that? We we tend to do this where we say, okay, what, what is that connection that I can make? Where is the bond that I can make? All of those things, they, they have their value. Uh, it, it, it's good in some ways to be able to connect with people and kind of have that as a starting point to be able to get into a relationship that's a little deeper than those kinds of things. But we have something in Christ that's so much deeper and more immediate than all of those kinds of superficial things that the world would bond over. We have together, those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, we have what the Bible calls fellowship. Now the word fellowship is not actually in this passage, but it's, it's part of what this is about. It, it, it is that sharing together mutually in something that is not shared in by the rest of the world. It's sharing together in the gospel of Jesus Christ sharing together in having the same Savior, sharing together in being indwelt by the same Holy Spirit so that there's a kind of love and bond and care for one another that we can have as believers in Christ together that's something beyond all of the kinds of preferential and cultural bonds that are possible out there in the world. That's what this is about as he started out in verse 7 saying, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. As we can see, God has brought someone in. I want to bring them in. God is the one who has decided who my brothers and sisters in Christ are going to be. God is the one who's decided who it is that he's going to bring of those brothers and sisters in Christ into this fellowship here in this town and this place, and we can receive each other. We can have that fellowship that's so much deeper than just saying, hey, do you like the giants? It's, hey, we are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ by the will of God. God is the one, if you're following along on the back of your bulletin, Christ is the one who made it possible for us to glorify God together. He said in verse 7, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Why? For the glory of God. Now, he, he has, has talked about receiving one another in, despite certain weaknesses in the faith that might be detected. 
So, so there were these things that were back in chapter 14 and kind of even coming into chapter 15 as well about, well, there, there's going to be some Christians who say, well, I, if I'm going to follow and honor God in Christ, I, I can't eat all those meats that are offered in the meat market. I might accidentally get something that's not kosher. I might accidentally get something that was sacrificed to an idol and wasn't labeled as Zeus meat. I, I, I might accidentally get that, and so I just can't do that. And then there's other believers who are saying, Jesus declared all foods clean. What's wrong with you? Now, neither one of them were thinking that they were going to get their sins more forgiven by that. But what Paul says is he says, okay, it's the one who refuses to eat the meat. That's a weakness in the faith. But at the same time, receive each other. Welcome each other. In fact, even be willing to give up your freedoms for the sake of of each other's souls because it's more valuable to be in this together with one voice glorifying God than to say, oh, those people are weak. Let's start our own strong church over here and let the weak people just have their own thing. He says, no, let's come together. Let's welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And what he's going to do now in these verses that we get to in verse 8 is he's going to say, here is that glory of God. He's going to expand on that, how we as Christians welcoming each other can together glorify God, praise him together, and even glorify God more because of the welcoming of each other. Jesus made it possible. He says in verse 8, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. First verse and a half there. Verse 8 through first half of verse 9. Where he says, For I tell you, those words, they kind of sound solemn, don't they? They kind of sound formal. He's saying, hey, listen to this. Listen to this solemn declaration that gives you the reason, that's what the word for means at the beginning of eight. Here is the reason for what I just said, why it is that you should welcome one another for the glory of God. Well, what is that reason? Well, it is because Christ became a servant to the circumcised and also because Christ did his work in order that the Gentiles might be brought in. Let's think about that a little bit, okay? Christ became a servant to the circumcised. What is that talking about? Well, that's talking about Abraham's offspring. Most of you probably know this, but for the sake of those who don't, Abraham was a former pagan who lived in the Middle East a long, long time ago. And God, by his grace, called Abraham out of that paganism and brought him to faith in the true one living God. And one of the things that God gave to Abraham was this promise, this promise that from his offspring would all the nations of the earth be blessed, that he was going to make Abraham himself through his offspring into a great nation, which was ultimately fulfilled in Israel, and, and that also not just that nation, but all the nations would be blessed through Abraham. God gave Abraham the sign of that covenant that he made with him. The sign of that covenant was called circumcision. It was this physical mark on the male descendants that came from Abraham that marked them off as being part of this people that God had made this covenant with and declared his blessing upon. Now, he's already talked previously in the book of Romans about a number of things having to do with Abraham's descendants, Abraham's offspring, Back in chapter 9, he talked about how not all who are descended from Abraham are of Abraham. Not all who are, uh, who are Jews in the flesh are Jews by the Spirit. That it was not all of Abraham's offspring who were declared to be part of the people of God, but only certain ones who were chosen that came down to the people of Jacob. And then out of that, that it's only certain ones who have been chosen to be those who actually have the faith of Abraham in the person of Jesus Christ. Back in, in Romans chapter 4, he said this. He said, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven 
and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. By the way, he's quoting Genesis 15 there. It wasn't Abraham's circumcision or his keeping of the law that made his sins forgiven. It was by faith that he was counted as righteous. It says back in Romans 4, how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that the righteous would be counted to them, righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Now, I just read you that big chunk because I just kind of want to remind you, if you didn't remember what it had already said in the book of Romans about circumcision. Let me just summarize that by saying circumcision was a sign that was given to Abraham and his offspring, but it was pointing to a greater reality, a greater reality of faith, where the, even the Old Testament itself comes to those who were circumcised in flesh and tells them, you must be circumcised in heart in order to be right with God. So on the one hand, you have the physical descendants who had that physical sign of circumcision, but all of that was pointing to the greater thing, the, the thing of faith being marked out not by a physical mark, not by physical descendants, but by having the faith of Abraham, which means faith in the same one that Abraham had faith in, which is faith in Jesus Christ. But where it says, taking us back here to Romans 15, verse 8, where it says this, Christ became a servant to the circumcised. What that means is that Jesus came in his earthly ministry as a Jewish person, born in the tribe of Judah, circumcised on the eighth day, ministering among the Jewish people, and that God set it up that way on purpose. God had been showing all along that being right with God was not dependent on being part of ethnic Israel, that it was dependent on faith, but God also made this decision, I am going to save through this ethnic people Israel, and I'm going to have the Savior Jesus come to the circumcised first. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 24, I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In Matthew 10, Jesus sends his disciples out, and in that first sending of the disciples there in Matthew 10, he, he tells them, go to those who are of the house of Israel. He tells them to preach only to Jews in their missionary journey at that time. Here's the question, though. Why did he do that? Why did Jesus say, I was sent to the lost of Israel? Why did he send his disciples in, in Matthew 10 to preach to those who are the house of Israel? Well, the answer is given here in Romans chapter 15. He says, here is why he became a servant to the circumcised. He gives two reasons for it. The first reason is this. In order to confirm, or excuse me, to show God's truthfulness, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. That's one reason. Second reason, he says, is in verse 9. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. That's interesting, isn't it? So Jesus was born as a Jew, did his earthly labor primarily among Jews, to show that God's work with that people of Israel had been God's work all along. He was confirming that, yes, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the true God. The promises that God had given to Abraham are not going to fall to the ground. 
all of the covenants that he had brought about, the covenant with Abraham, the covenant with the people through Moses, the covenant with David, all of these things are actually going to be fulfilled and they're going to be fulfilled in this person whose name is Jesus Christ. It's to show God's truthfulness to confirm those promises given to the patriarchs. But he also says, he also says that, that part of the reason is in order that the Gentiles might glorify God through his mercy. This was God's design in Jesus coming first and foremost to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, ministering to the circumcised, is that it would spread from there is that it wouldn't be contained only to the circumcised. It wouldn't be contained only to ethnic Israel. It was God's intention all along that they were supposed to take it to the nations. And that's what Jesus expressed in the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of just Israel? No, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus, in announcing that, said that he had authority over everything. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, which is not just authority in Jerusalem, not just authority among the Jewish people, not just authority among the circumcised, but authority over everyone, everywhere, this was God's design. Let me put it another way. I'll tell you, just curious if you can guess where I got this. Here's how I'm going to put it. I would say that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. You know where I got that? <laughs> book of Romans. That's the theme verse of the whole book of Romans, Romans 1.16. It's the power of God for salvation in Jesus Christ. To who? Well, he's going to say, to everyone. To everyone who believes. It's to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now that doesn't mean that being Jewish makes you more saved. It just means this was God's plan and intention all along. I'm going to begin working in this people and it's going to spread throughout the earth. That's God's design. A great illustration of this was given in Jesus' earthly ministry when he's in a house teaching and there is a Canaanite woman, a Gentile woman, who comes up to Jesus and begins to beg Jesus for help because her daughter is demon-possessed. And, and, and Jesus says to her, this is, this is the place in Matthew 15, where Jesus says, I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Sometimes people read that story and they think, Jesus was racist. He isn't going to help this lady because she's not part of the Jewish people. What is wrong with Jesus? Well, nothing's wrong with Jesus, and no, Jesus is not racist. Jesus was doing this because he wanted her to say what she was about to say so that we could learn it, to learn the same point that's expressed in Romans 15, verses 8 and 9, where she says, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, O oh, woman, great is your faith. You see what he's saying here? He's saying, I am serving this meal of the gospel beginning at the house of Israel, but it's going to spread out. The crumbs are going to start falling off of the table and these people who have the faith of Abraham doesn't matter if they're Canaanites. Doesn't matter if they would have been called dogs. He says, great is your faith. And he, she is able to receive the blessing of Jesus Christ, the blessing of the gospel, because he began working with the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And it's going to spread out from there. Jesus worked primarily in one place, with one people, but his intention all along was that the salvation that he brought there would overflow beyond that place to the nations. His intention was that, that as he served the loaves and the fishes of the gospel among the circumcised, among the Jewish people, that he was going to multiply those loaves and those fishes 
to be able to feed the 5,000. And not just the 5,000, but the great multitude from every tribe and tongue and nation. Thank God that he did it this way. Because as the gospel has spread from that place out, that's how I ended up having salvation in Jesus Christ. That's how most of us in here, who are not among the lost sheep of the house of Israel, although a few of you are, praise God for that. But, but this is how we have come to hear and to believe is because Jesus had this plan all along, first of all, to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, saying, I am not giving up on this people, but also in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, to bring these peoples together. It says in Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 through 29, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. See, Jesus has told us that whoever comes to him will never hunger. He's told us that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. I think the reason he put the whoever's there was not to say that God has absolutely no control over who comes to him. He said explicitly, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. The reason he put the whoever's there was to say, it does not matter if you are Jew or Gentile or from any other nation or any other background or slave or free or male or female, whatever it is, You come to Jesus in faith, and you are brought in fully. You have received the full adoption as sons. You are made together with one voice to be able to praise this God. It it, it is a praise, a glorification of God, according to verse 9, for his mercy, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. This is just a little reminder there that this is how we're saved. It's by God's mercy. It's by God's grace. It's not by something that we could do for God. It's not by God seeing that we were the kind of person who would blank anything. We weren't. We're sinners lost and rebellious against God. There is no one who seeks God, no, not one. That's what he said back in chapter 3. But God in himself is gracious and merciful and abounding in steadfast love. He is forgiving of sins. He is slow to anger. And he shows that not just to those who are descendants of Abraham, but to all who would come to him in faith by his grace. So as we come to faith in Jesus, as we come in repentance of our sin, as we come trusting in Jesus alone for our salvation, the Christ who was crucified in the place of sinners so that we could have eternal life, we can say glory to God for his mercy. Glory to God for his mercy upon the circumcised who have faith. And glory to God for the uncircumcised, for the Gentiles of every tribe and tongue and nation who have faith. And by that faith are Abraham's offspring with the faith of Abraham. That's mercy. When it says that the Gentiles would glorify God for his mercy, this is a reversal of something that is spoken about the Gentiles in Romans chapter 1. Starting in the second half of Romans 1, those of you who can remember a couple years back, those opening chapters of Romans, they are just laying out. doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile or whatever else. You were born in sin and you are hopelessly lost in your sin. That's the point of the opening chapters of Romans. You need the gospel. It doesn't matter who you are, but one of the things it said about Gentiles, people who grew up apart from the word of God, people who were separated from God in so many ways, it said in Romans 1.21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. But you know what we see in Romans 15 verse 9? By God's grace... Through all of the beautiful gospel truths that we've seen throughout the book of Romans, and through Jesus' death on the cross for our sins, through the Holy Spirit coming to apply that redemption 
to Jews and Gentiles, that we can now glorify God for his mercy. Instead of living in that old rebellion against God without giving thanks to him, we can glorify him for what he's given us in Christ. Let's go back. You ready to go backwards? Let's go back to the first word in verse 8. For. For. I tell you that Christ became a servant to the Gentiles. What is he saying there? He's saying this is the reason for something. This is the reason that we are to welcome one another. We're to receive one another as Christ has welcomed us without regard to background and ethnicity and cultural customs that come with those kinds of background things. This is part of what was going on at the Church of Rome. Part of the reluctance that they had, we saw back in verse or chapter 14, part of the reluctance of some of them to eat certain meats, part of the tendency of some of them to keep certain holidays that they didn't have to keep, even part of the tendency of some of them to abstain from wine, all of this had to do, apparently, according to these verses, just in connection with the whole context, had to do something with the divide between Jews and Gentiles that was being experienced there in the church at Rome. That's why it has the word for. Welcome one another because God has brought in both Jews and Gentiles. As we went through chapter 14 and the beginning of chapter 15, we did a lot of application to, to kind of the, the, the modern circumstances that we face in churches now and, and the fact that not everybody is strong in the faith, and not everybody is weak in the faith, and it's normal for there to be a combination of strong and weak believers in any church. That, that's normal and that's good. We try to build each other up. We try to, to come down like Christ condescended to us so that, so that we can serve each other rather than putting each other putting ourselves up on a pedestal you know there's all kinds of things that are applicable there but we kind of see it coming out right now in these verses in chapter 15 that hey some of this stuff in the particular circumstance of the church at Rome in the first century really had a lot to do with an ugly division that they were experiencing there between Jewish background believers and Gentile background believers they were trying to work through this. Rome had unique circumstances that I've told you about before where sometime in the 40s AD, historians debate about exactly when it happened and how long, but sometime in the 40s AD, there was an emperor named Claudius who just, I guess today you'd call him anti-Semitic, but he, he actually expelled all of the Jews from the city of Rome. And, and then at the end of his reign, they, they were able to return. But what we're seeing in, in the book of Romans is something of the, the after effect of those circumstances, where there is a church in Rome that had spent a number of years as just a Gentile church. That's a pretty unique circumstance in these New Testament churches. As just a Gentile church because Jews were not allowed in that city for a time. But now as they're coming back in, you, you have these Gentile believers who, who seem, I mean, I don't know if they wrote a letter to Paul asking about this. We, we just don't know. But it seems like they've got some issues with receiving those Jewish background believers in. Some of those issues are things like, hey, as these Jewish background believers come in, they won't eat meat with us. They, they won't come around our table. They're scared of the wine we're serving. They're scared that it might be tainted by some kind of a background of, 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 of pagan sacrifice. The, uh, certain times a year, we show up to their house to, to, uh, you know, to bring them a fruit basket, and, and they're like keeping these, these weird holidays that we don't keep. And we say, what's going on? The, these people, they, they seem like they don't understand that they don't have to be in these things anymore. They're weak in the faith. You can almost hear these kind of complaints coming in, in this hypothetical letter to Paul about the problems that they're experiencing in, a church, in the church. But you know what you see throughout the letter of Romans? You see these continual urges from Paul not to let there be divisions over things like this. As there's a temptation from those Gentile believers to look down on the Jewish believers, you know what he, he says back in, in Romans 9? Uh, he, he, he says, um, 
hey, they are Israelites. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is Christ, the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. He's saying, hey, don't go down that road of looking down on these people. He, he, he says in, in chapter 10, brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. He's speaking specifically here about unbelieving Jewish people. He says, I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. But, but he, he, he says Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And, and then in chapter 11, he, he makes it very, very clear that, hey, God began his work among the Jewish people. And it's by his grace that he has chosen to graft Gentile branches into this original tree, this original olive tree that he began working with all along, which began with the patriarchs, is expressed in the nation of Israel, comes to its fruition in the person of Jesus Christ. But he's saying, you who've been grafted in don't have that kind of an arrogance toward the original branches. So he says over and over and over here, hey, don't let there be arrogance. Don't let there be any of you looking down upon each other, especially when it comes down to these things that have to do with cultural and ethnic differences between Jews and Gentiles. Now, again, he doesn't say it's all just neutral. He actually says in Romans 14, there's a weak position and there's a strong position. That is true. It is the weak position to keep kosher as a Christian. He says that. It's plain. But he also says, hey, but give up your rights in order to have the greater truth of your mutual fellowship together in the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. Now, we do need to put this together in ways that we can apply to our own time, which is that even though the exact circumstances of the church at Rome and the exact circumstances of tensions between Jewish and Gentile believers, that's not quite as directly applicable to us in First Baptist Church of Matawan as it would have been to First Baptist Church of Rome. But at the same time, throughout the history of the church, right up until today, there continues to be a temptation to bring the kinds of cultural differences that exist in the world into the church in unhealthy and divisive ways. The, the kinds of things that you would bond over in the world to say, well, the people in the church that I would bond over those things with, those are going to be my group. And everybody else, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll sing on opposite sides of the room together on Sunday morning, but I've got my Giants fans over here. The funny thing is, though, out in the world, you can imagine somebody coming up to another person and saying, hey, do you like the Giants? The other guy goes, oh, well, I like the Jets. Okay, that's, uh, well, okay, okay. But then you can also imagine somebody coming up and saying, hey, you like the Giants? And, and the other guy says, no, I like Real Madrid. Whoa. <laughs> In a worldly way, where are you going to go with that? <laughs> That's a whole other thing. You say, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you have a nice time with that. I'll see you later. When we come together in the church, we say, I don't have any idea what I would ever talk to you about out in the world, but we have the same Savior. We have Jesus Christ. We are mutually bonded together in the gospel, and we have, therefore, everything in common as brothers and sisters in Christ. We can set aside all of those cultural things, and we can say, let's with one voice together glorify God, because we share together in Christ. That's what we have. You know, in America, we, we still today experience a lot of the after-effects of centuries of Christians not welcoming each other, of, of Christians dividing along ethnic lines. And of course, most of that in, in history of America had to do with, with white Christians deciding that they were not going to fully welcome black Christians. Just an ugly, ugly thing. And if you asked them at the time, are you welcoming those black Christians? They would probably say yes, 
but they have to sit over there. And no, we would never possibly consider them for leadership in the church. And what an ugly thing that is. What an ugly thing. And we still experience effects from that today. And, and, and so we, we can see plainly in that kind of extreme example, hey, this actually matters. This really matters for what the church is and for the glory of God that we set aside worldly things and worldly ways of thinking about the differences that we have between different kinds of people. And we say, let's be one together in Jesus Christ for the glory of God, whether it's Jews and Gentiles or any other kinds of divisions that we might have. And, and now there, there are churches, though, that uh, are well-meaning that try to fix those problems by saying, okay, well, let's, let's now discriminate the other way. And that's not that helpful. I, I actually personally knew a, a very well-meaning man, a pastor, who, who planted a church with the explicit declaration this is going to be a multi-ethnic church as though he were the one who could choose who it is that God can save. And that church got started. There was a lot of healthy things about it, but eventually some political things came in and they experienced turmoils there uh, of the kind that I praise God that I've never personally had to experience in a church. Hope, I hope none of you have had to experience those kinds of turmoils. And, and the turmoils are rooted essentially in the idea that because they, they announced in advance what their ethnic makeup would be to try to counter the sin of partiality that had existed in American Christianity before them, what they were doing is they were bringing in partiality in the other direction to say we are going to favor these people above these people in order that we can meet our ultimate goal of having a racial makeup that matches this kind of a... I don't even know how it all worked out, but you know what they were doing? They, they were countering partiality with partiality rather than just saying, hey, we're going to get past these things and worship God together in one voice and trust that it is God who brings people into the kingdom. It's God who unites us together, not our saying, hey, this is the kind of people we want. That's, that's not good. That's not good. There's a really cool thing as I was studying this passage, though. I was, I was thinking about, and, and we're going to see this more. You'll see why I was thinking about this as we go to the quotes that he's about to bring in from the Old Testament about all of the peoples, all of these Gentiles, all of these people from all over the world extolling and praising the name of God together. And I was thinking as I, I, I studied that about this church, this little bitty church in Matawan, New Jersey, and I was thinking, what region of the world in its ethnicities is not, is not represented in this church? And I had a really hard time thinking of it. And, and that's, that's to the praise of God. Now, only God knows if that's going to continue to be the case. God's the one who chooses and arranges the members of the church. That's what the Bible says. But, but did God do that? Did God put people from various kinds of backgrounds together here in Matawan by our trying to shift the church's mission to force that to happen? Uh, no, what, what happened is that we kept our focus on Christ, and, and as we focus on Christ and we find our common bond in Christ as a people who fellowship together in the Holy Spirit, God just put us together. And, and, and I guess I, I just want to say that as a compliment to you as a church, that, that we see that, that, that as we meet new people who come in our doors, I see that in you, that that's what we're looking for. Is this my brother or my sister in Christ? If it is, praise God, come in. Let's worship together. If it's not, I don't care what your background is. I want to call you to repentance and faith in Jesus. I want to share the gospel with you. So I just I want to compliment you, church, on that, that, that we see that as our fundamental identity, not these cultural marker kinds of things, but let's together glorify God for his mercy. So praise God for that, and let's keep it up. The next thing it says is that Christ commands all people to glorify God, all people to glorify God. He says in, in verse 9, as it is written, 
Now, let's sort of pause there real quick. As it is written, you know what that means? It means that the Scripture matters. Here he is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, authoring words of the New Testament that will show us that the words of the Old Testament are authoritative. This is just a testimony right here to the the fact of what it says in 2 Timothy, that all Scripture is God-breathed. And so he doesn't want to just say, hey, this is a fun idea that I have. This is, a, this is a fun little thing that I, Paul, thought up about how, how God can make us all get in on this together and all get along like, like, like some kind of Sesame Street thing. No, he says, this was written in the Scriptures all along, that this has always been God's plan. He, he is testifying here to the authority of the Bible, which is what we always ought to stand on, the authority of Scripture. And specifically, he's showing from the authority of the Old Testament Scriptures that this idea of Jews and Gentiles of all nations being brought in together in Christ for the glory of God has always been God's plan. He doesn't quote here from just one passage. He quotes from four different passages, that are from multiple books of the Old Testament. And he does the same thing that he's done in other places in Romans as well. He quotes from these places around the Old Testament that make up what are called the law, the prophets, and the writings, or the Psalms. He's quoting from all three of the historical Jewish divisions of the Old Testament books to say, hey, it has always been all over your Bible that this has been God's plan all along. Let's see what those quotations are. He starts out quoting from Psalm 18, verse 49, which says, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Gentiles, also translated nations, and sing to your name. Then he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 43, and says, Again, it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with this people. And then he says in Psalm 117, verse 1, And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And then he's going to quote in verse 12 from Isaiah 11, 10, but we'll save that for just a minute because that's going to be something we'll get to at the end. But in the second half of verse 9, where where he quotes from this psalm, he's showing that God is going to send his people to praise his name among the nations. He says, I will praise you among the Gentiles or among the nations and sing to your name. Do you know what that is? That's an Old Testament call to evangelism. It's an Old Testament call to missions. To say, yes, I am here in Jerusalem, and I recognize that it is my task to go out. That it's God's desire to see the nations praise you. I'm going to go and I'm going to praise God among the nations. Another way to put that would be to spread the good news. To share the gospel of the glory of God in saving sinners in Jesus Christ. I will praise you among the nations. Sing to your name. Verses 10 and 11 have these commands, not just to us, who are already Christians, to go and spread the gospel, but commands to all peoples everywhere to praise God. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Praise the Lord, you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. Now, I've told you before, and you've probably experienced, when you share the gospel with various kinds of people, one of the reasons that people will give you why they can dismiss what you say, why you, you, you are not talking to the right person that you should move on to someone else. One of the reasons that they'll tell you is, no thank you, I'm a Muslim. No thank you, I am Hindu. No thank you, I'm Jewish. No thank you, I am Catholic. No thank you, I am a Mormon. Etc., 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 etc. As though the point in God's mind were just that all people's should have some kind of a religion. All the peoples do have some kind of a religion. And in the Old Testament, you see that pretty clearly, too. What do you see among all of those Gentile nations? You don't see some kind of an an absence of worship or an absence of religion. 
You see them building temple after temple with idol after idol and priest after priest coming in to offer sacrifice after sacrifice. They had well-established religions. But God says, those are ugly. Those are not God-honoring. And my command to all people everywhere, even those who have systems of religion that go back in their families for thousands of years, dishonoring God, just as the second commandment says that they would. I command you, all Gentiles, all peoples, everywhere, to extol and praise the name of the one true God, Yahweh. All peoples everywhere are commanded. This is a great reminder of that authority. I mentioned it earlier. The authority that Jesus said he had as he had risen from the dead and he was sending his disciples out to make uh, disciples of all nations. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He didn't say all authority among the people that you think are most likely to believe. All authority among people who don't have any kind of a system of religion right now. Everybody does have a system of religion. He says, all authority has been given to me. This is a command. It, it is for an obligation and commandment that all peoples everywhere, as it says in Acts 17, 17 should repent and turn away from their old system of worship turn away from their whole old system of thinking and become worshipers of the true God through his son, Jesus Christ. And it's not just the New Testament that says that. It's the Old Testament, every part of it. Do you know the reason that you exist? I've told you before. It's to glorify God. That's the reason you exist. It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ today, by which I mean that you haven't come to be broken over your sin and the wrongness of our whole way of thinking that you had before, and to trust yourself completely in the Savior Jesus who was broken and died on the cross for your sins. If you are not a believer in Jesus today, do you know that you are not fulfilling the whole reason you exist? The whole reason you exist is to give glory and praise to God. And the one way that he has given for that to happen is through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Fulfill your purpose. If you won't, he's still going to get glory from you, but not voluntarily on your part. It'll be the glory of his justice for all eternity in the fires of hell. That is the fate of all people of all nations who will not repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the, that is the, uh, what's ahead for you if you won't turn to Christ. But he offers you that salvation so that you can turn, glorify God for his mercy. Believer in Jesus Christ, you also don't need to miss the reason why you exist, which is to glorify God. Maybe there's a way in which you, you, you recognize these verses are right. Oh, yes, all Gentiles should rejoice with his people. Oh, yes, all, all Gentiles should extol his name. Oh, yes, this is, this is good. This is great. Everybody should praise God. But your heart, for some reason, is just hardened. Don't let your heart be hardened. Let this scripture come to you and soften your heart. Wherever your mind wherever your feelings, wherever the things that you love and the things that you hate, wherever your will, everything that is inside of you, wherever it is hardened against the praise and enjoyment of God, let God melt that. And let your heart praise God so that you can come together and have all this joy and peace in believing that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope, and so that with one voice we can together praise this God. All of this is because of Christ. Jesus is the one who made it possible. Jesus is the one who commands us to rejoice. And Jesus, as it says in verse 12, is the root and the reason for our praise. In verse 12, he quotes Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10, 
where it says the root of Jesse will come. That root of Jesse, what that means, Jesse was David's father. David had been given a promise that someone would reign on his throne forever. It seemed like that promise hadn't come true. It seemed like the house of David was cut off, like it was a tree that had been cut down. It promises in Isaiah 11 that there will be a shoot from the stump of Jesse. That, that this root of Jesse will come. This is Jesus. Jesus who was born in the line of David, who is the son of David, who is the, the king who is coming. It says, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, to rule all the nations. Did you know he's already ruling from heaven right now? He is already ruling from heaven. It says that very clearly in Ephesians 1, it's a place I'm thinking of right now, as well as various other places, that he ascended into heaven. God has put all things under his feet. But he also is waiting for all things to be put under his feet. He's ruling now, and he will come to rule in person. He is ruling now in his kingdom of grace as grace extends to more and more people through the gospel. And as he directs all circumstances of all things, he is ruling, and he will come, and he will rule in person and in glory. And it says in him with a Gentile's hope. Jesus is the one who fulfilled the promises, who is the Savior, who is the Messiah, who makes it possible for us to praise God, and Jesus is the one that's the reason for it, the one in whom the Gentiles hope. He's not just the source of our hope, he's the object of our hope. He's not a means to an end. He is the goal. And so as we come together trusting in this Jesus who is the one that we're to praise and the way that we can praise, let's welcome one another as God has welcomed us for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray today that you would grant us where we're not in line with the scripture to see it. Father, I pray that where we have failed to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God, I pray that you'd show us that and help us to set it right for your glory. But God, I pray that those who are today apart from Christ, whether they are among the circumcised or among the Gentiles, as it's put in this passage, from any tribe, tongue, nation, any background, any kind of worldly markers of identity. Father, I pray that you would bring us into the identity of being united to Christ by faith. And I pray that as we're united to Christ, that you would open our mouths to praise. Father, we see also here in this passage a call to evangelism. Even as Jesus did his work there in Judea and sent his disciples out to the nations, Help us to be those here in New Jersey and, and other places, wherever you would send us to spread the glory of your name, to praise you among the Gentiles, to sing to your name, to make disciples of all nations. Father, I pray for any who are outside of Christ, bring them in. And I pray for us who are in Christ, help us to fulfill the purpose that you've given us to glorify you in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen.